This is a production of Women's Voices, a volunteer organization recording women's literary works for the purpose of education and broader access to the public. For more information, visit womens-voices.org. Over the last several years, transgender activism has made sweeping gains. Proponents of this ideology have succeeded in positioning gender identity as the social justice issue of our day. But are the claims made by these activists true? What does it mean to say that people can be born in the wrong body? Does the concept of gender identity break down stereotypes about the nature of men and women, or does it reinforce them? And what about the rights of women and girls? On February 1, 2020, the U.S.-based organization Women's Liberation Front hosted a panel event called The New Misogyny. Three women's rights campaigners, Megan Murphy, Saba Malik, and Kara Dansky, presented a critical analysis of gender identity and made arguments for sex-based women's rights. The event took place at the Seattle Public Library in downtown Seattle, Washington, despite protesters inside and outside the building. This is the talk given by Kara Dansky, who serves on the board of directors for the Women's Liberation Front, where she acts as an attorney and media coordinator. Good evening, and thank you for having me. As Lear said, my name is Kara Dansky. I serve on the board of the Women's Liberation Front. I'm an attorney with a background in women's rights, criminal justice, and civil rights. I have to say it's wonderful to be in Seattle. I used to live here, and it's great to be back. Because you just clapped for that, I will also say, because I am in Seattle, I will say, go Seahawks. <laughs> go beast mode, we had a great run this season. I am here to talk specifically about gender identity in US law, and I will do that building on some of the things that Megan and Saba have said. But first, I would like to make a brief statement. I am extremely angry. I suspect that many of us are extremely angry. We on this panel are all capable of speaking on the topic of gender identity in a relatively measured way because we are accustomed to doing so. I put air quotes on gender identity just then, so when I use the phrase gender identity throughout the rest of this talk, please imagine air quotes <laughs> around the phrase because gender identity isn't real in any material, real-world sense. We on this panel have been called to speak about gender identity in the media, on social media, and in our regular lives with regular people. And so we have found that we have no choice to speak on this topic, and we do in a polite manner, as we, as women, are so often required to do. To be clear, I do not think that any of us actually want to be talking about gender identity at all. In addition to her feminist work, Lierre has spent her entire adult life and career fighting for the planet and its inhabitants. I suspect that Megan would probably rather be speaking out against the violence of pornography and prostitution, and that perhaps Saba would prefer to spend her time ending the violence of racism. Personally, I would very much like to be fighting for reproductive sovereignty for women, including abortion on demand and without apology.
All of us have spent our lives fighting for justice in one way or another. And yet now we all find ourselves in the following situation. We have to talk about the violence, misogyny, and homophobia of gender identity because we have no choice but to do so. But then, men forcing women to do things that we do not want to do is hardly novel. I am angry that the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence can report the following statistics regarding domestic violence in the United States. We're all familiar with these. One in four women experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, and death. One in seven women have been seriously injured by an intimate partner. One in 10 women have been raped by an intimate partner. One in four women have been victims of severe physical violence, for example, beating, burning, or strangling by an intimate partner. These are averages, and the situation is far worse for black women than for white women. Lesbians are routinely harassed, attacked, and beaten for the sin of being female homosexuals, and today, lesbians are being told that they are hateful bigots because they refer, refuse to acknowledge the lie of the female penis. To be clear, when any of us read or hear or speak the statistics that I read above, every single person knows exactly what is meant by the word women. Literally no one is confused by this. The man who forced his penis inside of my vagina when I was 19 years old did not ask me for my preferred pronouns before doing so. Literally every person hearing these words knows exactly what I'm talking about. And yet, we have been told that we are not permitted to fight for women and girls as women and girls. The mob awaits us. So now, I will talk about gender identity and the law. And I will do so dispassionately, as women are obligated to do, notwithstanding this simmering rage. I will be speaking primarily about US law and its origins, because that is what I am most familiar with. Let's start with some history, and we're going to go back a bit. The Magna Carta, promulgated in 1215, <laughs> is generally considered to be the original source of US law. Don't worry, I'll go quickly. It is well known that the Magna Carta's primary purpose was to grant political and religious rights to male aristocrats and to grant some rights to lesser but still property-owning white men and their white male heirs. It is less well known that under the Magna Carta, a widow was permitted to inherit her husband's estate and to remain in his house for 40 days after his death before being evicted. Widows, however, were not permitted to remarry without first receiving the permission of a baron. The Magna Carta also provided that a man could not be punished for killing another man if the murder complaint was made by a woman, unless the murder victim was the woman's husband. These are the sole references to women in the Magna Carta's entire 63 provisions, all of which went to great lengths to emphasize the rights of men. In 1606, King James of England signed the first Virginia Charter, establishing the colony of Virginia. The charter granted all colonial governing authority and all of the property that it stole from indigenous Americans to eight white men. Later, King James would appoint a man, Lord Delaware, to serve as colonial governor. 
the king granted the residents of the colony all of the rights that residents of England and its other colonies had. For women, of course, this meant zero rights. The charters establishing the, 12, the other 12 American colonies were similar to the Virginia Charter in that they granted all governing authority and all stolen property rights to white men. In 1776, of course, Congress famously declared that men are created equal, and in 1789, the U.S. got its constitution, which gave individual states the authority to determine voting rights. Not a single state at that time granted women the right to vote. We don't have to limit this historical discussion to voting rights, as important as they are. We could also talk, for example, about how a 17th century law in Massachusetts provided that women could be executed for luring men into marriage by wearing high-heeled shoes. <laughs> women were granted the right to practice law in US federal court in 1879, but most states still prohibited women from practicing law in their state courts. And of course, abortion was outlawed in most of the United States throughout most of US history. This is just a tiny list of times throughout US history when US law has explicitly discriminated against women. And let's be perfectly clear. All of the men making all of those laws over all of that time knew exactly what the word woman means. There have been some tremendous gains, of course. We have Roe v. Wade to protect abortion rights for now. Thanks in part to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in 1971, the Supreme Court decided that women are people under the law. We are allowed to have our own bank accounts and credit cards. We're even allowed to have law degrees. These are good and hard-fought developments, and feminists should be proud of the work that we have done and the gains that we have made to protect women in the law. Gender identity is destroying all of it, everything. Everything that women have fought for is being annihilated by gender identity in the law. I will now talk a little bit about how gender identity is annihilating women at the federal level in the US. If anyone has questions about how gender identity is being enshrined into law at the US state level, we can do that later in the Q&A, but we don't have time to go into it now. As many of us know, the question of what the word sex means is currently before the United States Supreme Court in a case called Harris versus EEOC, which involves a man named Amy Stevens who is demanding legal recognition to be female. If the Supreme Court decides that Stevens is literally a woman, then women will be obliterated as a category worthy of civil rights protection in the United States, and centuries worth of work will be undone. It's as simple as that. The Women's Liberation Front has filed a friend of the court brief in the case arguing that sex stereotyping in employment constitutes unlawful sex discrimination and opposing employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. We expect to hear this spring or summer whether the Supreme Court thinks that women are allowed to exist in the law. The question of what the word sex means is also before the United States Congress. As Saba mentioned, the so-called Equality Act has been before Congress for several years, but this year the US House of Representatives took the unprecedented step of voting to pass it. The Equality Act, like a bad ruling in the Stevens case, would obliterate women and girls as a discrete legal category for civil rights protection. Incidentally, Congress is also considering a bill called the Fairness for All Act as an alternative to the Equality Act. The Fairness for All Act is terrible. Like the Equality Act, it would replace the legal category of sex with gender identity. But crucially, 
it would exempt religious institutions. What this would mean in practice is that religious institutions would be able to maintain sex segregated spaces, but public institutions such as public schools would not. It essentially encourages the idea that religious women and girls are entitled to sex segregated spaces, but other women and girls are not. The Fairness for All Act would also give religious institutions a legal excuse to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, which Wolf adamantly opposes. The upshot of all of this is that it is simply not possible to both protect women and girls and protect gender identity in the law. Federal law can either protect women and girls in order to make up for centuries of unfairness and injustice, or it can protect a self-declared and under undefined identity. It cannot do both. So let's pull this all together. The men in power for thousands of years enacted countless laws with the deliberate intention of keeping women out of power and out of civil society purely on the basis of sex. And now at the altar of gender identity, we are expected to simply pretend that sex does not exist. No. I want to make one final point here. Lawmakers who take an interest in this topic often say that they want to ban transgender athletes from women's sports or that they want to ban unnecessary medical procedures for transgender children. These efforts are often well-intentioned, but they're misguided. If there are any, out, any lawmakers out there listening, please take note, there is simply no such thing as transgender. <laughs> Gender is a caste system designed to keep women in our place and must be abolished, not enshrined in the law. Women are female, men are male, it's not complicated. Thank you. <clears throat> in conclusion, Women are being fired from our jobs for saying the kinds of things that we are saying here today. At least two members of Wolf have been fired from progressive nonprofit organizations for having the audacity to stand up for women and girls. Another has lost an important source of contract-based employment, yet another member has been erased from her position in her doctoral department. These are actual cases that are actually happening and have actually happened. This is the new misogyny. It's the same as the old misogyny, but with a postmodern twist. And finally, to paraphrase something that radical feminists often say on the topic of gender, only men could oppress women for thousands of years and then turn around, put on a dress, and claim to be the most marginalized group in society. Women have had it, we are angry, and we are not taking it anymore. <laughs>